Hey there, Hello PhD listeners. As I record this, it's Halloween Day, October 31st, 2022. Dan and I thought it would be fun to share with you one of our favorite past episodes. For Halloween 2018, we reached out to listeners to share their lab horror stories, and they certainly came through. So, in honor of Halloween, we're sharing this episode with you again now. Keep in mind when we talk about meeting up at conferences and various travel in this episode that this was from four years ago. Happy Halloween and enjoy the show. This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. Oh, did I tell you my lab horror story? The whole thing. I'm standing in the corner just crying, and my PI basically looked at me and was like, Get a hold of yourself. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we're telling chilling tales of horror and desperation. Basically, it's just another week in grad school. Stay with us. (laughs) And we're back. Excellent accent. (laughs) Very well done. (laughs) This is Hello PhD, episode 103. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. And the inhuman side of science. (laughs) Can you tell it's nearly Halloween? It is nearly Halloween. We are recording this exactly one week from Halloween, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You have your costume picked out? I do. I'm going to be a chef. Oh, nice look, nicely done. Yep. What, what do chefs look like precisely? Well, I'm wearing a chef's hat. Okay. Yeah. 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 My kids are food. They wanted to be food items this year. So my daughter will be a donut and my son a hot dog and our dog a taco. I would like to know in what restaurant can you find a chef who wears a chef's hat who makes donuts and hot dogs? And tacos. And tacos. <laughs> yeah. So it's a new uh, it's a, a fusion. A new kind fusion of a concept. Idea. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I went to a school event and uh, put on a captain's hat because I was already wearing a black coat and normal things that I wear every day. And you put on a captain's hat, you look like a captain. You're a captain. Hey, I wanted a costume that just required putting on a hat. That was really my same, criteria. Same here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, Dan, you're coming over. We're going to do some trick-or-treating next week. That is the plan. And a bunch of kids. How many? A bunch. Okay. Don't worry, there will be... There'll be wine. Can I just Carry drop wine. the kids off and pick them up when you're done? <laughs> we'll just stay here and send the kids out. Hey, you can hand out candy. Somebody's got to do it. Hey, Dan, speaking of uh, tasty treats, we have a seasonal ethanol right here in front of us. Part of our IPA free fall. This is not an IPA. What did you buy? Okay, I feel like we have to do this at least once every fall, but I procured us a pumpkin beer. Okay, which one is this? Okay, so I, I have high hopes for this because this is from Rogue Brewing, and they know what they're doing. Rogue makes some good beers uh, out of Oregon. This is the Rogue Pumpkin Patch Ale, and it says ale brewed with Rogue Farms pumpkins. So apparently Rogue also grows produce, their own produce they use in their beers. Like you do. Uh, my first taste of this was just the foam at the top. It had a it had a pretty good head on it. Yeah. And... I, it felt like I was eating the whipped cream off of a pumpkin pie. That was the initial sensation that I had. It was very that's tasty. Great. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah, a bad thing great. at all. Well, let me tell you, Dan. This has some. This has fifteen ingredients. Okay, so it has Rogue Farms Dream Pumpkins, and then it has several malts, water, 
<laughs> water. Well, I'm not going to name Maybe all these malts count as ingredients. So I don't want to read those. Uh, but, but it also has orange peel, cinnamon, cloves, cardamom, vanilla, ginger, and nutmeg. I think it's tasty. Yeah, this it is, is great. It, this, is not a, this is not a traditional lager or ale that you just take to a party, but it is a, it's a tasty once-a-year thing, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you know, I have to say, this might be my favorite pumpkin beer I've ever had. I was about to think that, yes. I, did, I wasn't going to think it. I was about to think it. <laughs> you were fixing to think it. Uh, you, you remember last year, Dan, I had high hopes for a beer, a local beer, that was brewed with actual whole pumpkin pies. Yeah, they would just dump the entire pumpkin pie into the Yeah, and, and we thought we had the wrong beer because... It didn't taste pumpkin No pumpkin taste. But this one, no doubt. This is it. And you should be able to get this pretty much across the country, I would expect. I got it at our local bottle shop. And so anywhere you can buy rogue beers, I imagine you could find this one. It's in a big 750 mil bottle, though, so be, be ready for that. And it's not too sweet, which I'm appreciative of. So go check this one out. I like it. All right. Happy fall. Dan, I have been doing a ton of traveling lately. Yeah, you are gone more than you're here, I think. I know. It's been a little bit rough the last few weeks, but all fun things. So I was at the SACNAS conference. Tell it, remind us what that means. That's yeah. an acronym that not everybody has heard. Yeah, so SACNAS is an organization that's been around for a while. It's called the, it's the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. And they have a big national meeting every year that I usually try to attend if I can. This one in San Antonio. So lots of undergrads, grad students, postdocs, faculty, other science type people um, who come together once a year. I stalk you on Twitter, so I know you were there. So you posted some photos, didn't you? Yeah, actually, um, one of the highlights was I got to very briefly meet one of the keynote speakers, Ellen Ochoa, who was the first Latina in space. She was an astronaut. Amazing. That was exciting. Uh, yeah, it was super cool. Um, but anyway, besides, even more exciting than meeting an astronaut, I got to meet some Hello PhD listeners. Oh, excellent. Who did you run into? Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to a few really cool folks that I met at the conference. Um, I met Adrian, who's a grad student at Georgia Tech, and we had a long chat about grad school uh, and also beer. He's quite a beer connoisseur. We traded um, info on breweries to check out down in San Antonio. Also, Dan, I want to mention, have you been to San Antonio? Never. I've actually been three times in the last two years, but I ate tacos five meals in a row. That is awesome. Claim to fame. I'm really jealous. <laughs> uh, and they were good, too. Uh, were you skipping breakfast or you just had breakfast, had breakfast tacos? tacos? Yeah, perfect, some breakfast perfect. tacos. Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't eat breakfast. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, so great to meet Adrian. Uh, also, I met uh, Kevin. Uh, and Kevin is a grad student at UPenn. And he and another colleague actually have started their own podcast called Caminos in Ciencia. And it is a podcast that highlights Latinos and Latinas within the scientific community. Really cool idea, and I told him I would plug that on our show. Yeah, great for listeners of this podcast who want more podcasts, um, particularly about science. That sounds like a cool one. Yeah. Um, and then I also met our good friend, Beth Bowman. How's she doing? Uh, she's doing great. Yeah, actually, uh, we were going to catch up with Beth and do a little more recording about interviews, but she came down with the the con crud, as I like to say. You, know, you go shake enough hands and you kind of get... Cold oh or yeah, caught a cold. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but great to great to see Beth. And then last, I got to meet Priscilla Rodriguez Garcia. And so this is really cool, Dan. I had tweeted that I was going to be at the conference, and she reached out saying she's a listener of the show and mentioned her poster number and and when she was presenting. So I went over and checked out her poster, and did she did a great job telling me about plant immunity. And it turns out her PI at Ohio State actually worked in my lab as a rotation student. 
Oh, that's amazing. And and when you first told me about this, I was really jealous because I wanted to learn about plant immunity. <laughs> so hopefully you can relay everything you learned. Well, I think we'll just let Priscilla can reach out. She okay, can tell you enough, all you want to yeah. know. Um, but it's really cool. Uh, after the conference, she wrote a blog post about her experience at the conference and about how Twitter led us to meet. So yeah, we, we have said it before. If you're not getting on Twitter before the conference starts, you're missing out on a really cool opportunity to catch up with people and to have a conversation pre-started before you get there. Absolutely. So. And, and Priscilla, besides being a very cool person and uh, a great scientist, she became a Patreon patron this week. Oh, fantastic. I uh, must have been really nice to her. You were probably very nice. <laughs> if you would like to support the show, you can become a patron as well. Just go to patreon.com slash hellophd or click the become a patron button on our website and we will give you access to our private Slack channel just for our Patreon patrons. It's been blowing up this week. It sure has. We had a big discussion about uh, our topic for today's show. So we got a, we got some inside information for that. Um, also, a, a pretty lengthy discussion about managing scientific papers and the software that people are using for that. So um, I've got some new feedback for a listener who wrote in asking for, for help on that. Yeah. So thank you to all our patrons for their help. Good stuff. Um, do you have any other conferences coming up that you're going to be attending? Maybe people will be there. Uh, yeah, I do. I have uh, one more coming up in Indianapolis, the Abercams conference. So if anybody's going to be there you uh, tell in me Indianapolis, what that, means. that is the annual biomedical research conference for minority students. And so I will be there. Abercams. I'll be there uh, Indianapolis, uh, middle of November. So if you're there or in Indianapolis, you know a good place to drink beer. Let me know. Awesome. Yeah. Josh, I want to let everybody know about an art contest uh, that is sponsored by Promega for creative scientists. So, you know, Josh, scientists are creative people. I think by and large, they're doing other creative things. People are baking, people are drawing, people are doing photography. That was my my shtick in grad school. We used to play in a band. You were in a band. That's right. So there are lots of artists in the scientific community. And so Promega wants to sponsor this art contest where you can submit an image uh, either digital art, photography, pictures from your research. So if you do microscopy or uh, any kind of imaging, anything that you want, uh, just submit that image by December 9th. And five winners will receive a prize pack and be featured in the Promega Art Showcase. They actually have an employee art showcase every year. So that starts in January 2019. And a grand prize winner will have the chance to actually go to Madison, Wisconsin, to the Promega headquarters to meet R&D scientists and attend the opening of the art show. So if you want to get your image submitted, go to promega.com slash art contest to enter. All right, Dan. Well, why don't we jump into our topic and hear about some spooky lab stories? I'm frightened. All right, Dan. So with Halloween fast approaching, I'm here in the States. I guess Halloween, it's not a, that's not an international holiday. You know, I sure don't know. (laughs) Well, we are celebrating Halloween soon and uh, uh, it's quite the spooky holiday uh, where we focus on the frightening. And so that's what we're going to do on today's episode. We put out a call on, on our social media and our Patreon for anyone who had any particularly frightening lab fail horror stories during grad school. And we got some good ones. Yeah, these are are fairly intense. So, are you going to start with some of the tweets we got back? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'll start with here's just a few tweets we got. So, the first one, this is from Inorganic Veggie on Twitter. I'm presuming not the real name. Sprayed with pesticides. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, Inorganic Veggie said, 
I had an advisor that didn't let me use my NIH grant supplements money for my experiments. I couldn't order reagents or send out plasma DNA for sequencing. Of course, the project failed, and long story short, I ended up in another lab. Good thing I never saw ghosts in the lab. Oh, that is so annoying. Yeah, that's pretty... Uh, it's really the story of a monster PI is what that is. It's like, hey, I have this money to do research, but... Give it to me. <laughs> like, what are, you gonna, what are they going to do with it? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, how much money do you think it could be? I don't know. Who knows? Um, and then we heard from, from Nancy. Um, and what Nan- Nancy said, uh, entire floor evacuation when a bottle of T-Med spilled and the occasions when I let rodents out of the cage and couldn't get them back in more than once, I switched to cultured cells and C. elegans after that. The worms don't crawl away quite as fast. Yeah, Dan, have you ever used T-Med? Yeah, and it does not smell good. Yeah, no, I remember I used to... That was like the worst part about making those gels was uh, that bottle. And you didn't add much, but it smelled, so, it almost was like a fishy smell. Yeah, that and beta mercaptoethanol were are smells that I will never get out of my nose. Oh, because you imagine smell, uh, dropping a whole bottle of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and then rodents out of the cage. I don't think I ever, happening. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've ever had it happen, but it was definitely a risk. Uh, that, that definitely happened to me. And um, that actually reminds me of my own horror story, Dan, that's related to that. So, you know, in grad school, uh, I worked on bacterial pathogens, and I spent a good deal of time in a BSL-3 or Biosafety bio Level 3 lab. That's right. Yeah, these are serious pathogens. Serious pathogens. And so there were a lot of requirements, including you know, wearing a full body, if you could imagine like a spacesuit, full body Tyvek suit. It's like in the movies when they have the, the face plate and yep. the baggy. I had all that and the booties. Yep. And then I actually had, if you can imagine, a big belt that had these respirator packs um, that were battery powered and then a giant tube that went from that into the back of my head. <laughs> Did you have batarangs on the belt? No. <laughs> no, no, that would have been cool. Uh, but anyway, Dan, uh, one thing about these these big motorized filter units was they had these they had these organics filters and so they would filter the air they would filter not only any bacteria that uh, happened to be floating through the air which hopefully there were none uh, but also they would filter organics through so the consequence was you never smelled anything so any smells would actually be filtered out so anyway i'm sitting there i've finished my experiments i'd put all the the hazardous waste into the autoclave and the mouse cages were put away and i'm sitting at the computer in the room doing some email and suddenly um you know the autoclave is right there in the room i thought oh those mouse cages really smell bad and oh, no <laughs> and then suddenly it, it instantly occurred to me wait a second I shouldn't be able to smell those mouse cages. And I looked down and one of my filter units where I was sitting on the stool had physically popped off and I was just breathing air. Whatever in the, the air. Yep. <laughs> you know? Uh, so anyway, I very calmly... So you lit a cigarette and just said, <laughs> well, I've had a good run. <laughs> and watched the sunset yeah. across the ocean. Uh, yeah. So, so anyway, I very calmly, you know, took <laughs> off my calm, safety suit. Do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Walked back to the the lab you know so this was actually cross can't walk back to my, my actual gargled lab. with bleach <laughs> told the piano would happen and so anyway uh i had to go to health and safe go to occupational health and safety and, and basically they told me they're like well you know the bacteria you study while it can kill you it is susceptible to antibiotics so what we're going to do is just wait and see <laughs> <laughs> nice see how you feel <laughs> meanwhile you went home right yeah so anyway so i went home and i actually remember this very clearly i was, I was sitting home and, and my wife got home from work and as i'm sitting there uh, actually as i'm sitting there waiting for i started thinking like i'm feeling a little warm you know i feel like oh well, yeah the sweats a little bit you know so my wife came home and she's like well, maybe we should take your temperature i'm like oh god 
And so we took my temperature. It was like 97.5. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. And then I was okay. I lived. But, but, but the, for a moment, I, can, I love the picture of you being like, <laughs> wait, what is that smell? Wait, why is that no. smell? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we, we had to fill out an incident report with the CDC and my name's probably in a database somewhere. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Oh, did I tell you my lab horror story? My grad school <laughs> horror story? I was going to say, <laughs> let's start on day one. <laughs> the whole thing. Just kidding. Uh, we also heard from Robin Lee, who got a concussion from a graduated cylinder that fell off the drying rack, said the science gods must have been trying to tell her something. I like those drying racks. I mean, they're not very stable, but... Those would be cool to have at home. Yeah, if yeah. I didn't have a window right there, I yeah, think I would well. do it. Uh, and, then, and then we heard from George, who said, uh, for my master's, I was studying how spiders pay attention to their prey. Okay, you can stop there. We're done with the story. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. Uh, oh, this gets worse, Dan. We had hundreds of mosquitoes in the lab, and sometimes they got out and flew around bugging us until we caught or squished them. One day, this happened when a new student was in the lab. The mosquito picked her target. She swatted a couple times to no avail. So she got out her bug spray and sprayed it all around the lab. Everything and all of our experiments was compromised and we were not happy people. Wow. <laughs> Love that. Just, I like that there's a can of raid sitting somewhere in the lab where you're trying to keep these That's animals. Like, who carries yeah. bug spray around with them at all, at all times? I don't know. In undergrad, I worked in a plant cell biology lab and we had uh, the tissue culture room was full of these little soybean sprouts oh yeah you just imagine walking in with my roundup and just spraying <laughs> it everywhere <laughs> i'll, take, I'll everywhere. take care of that for you guys don't worry about it <laughs> oh my goodness uh, that's potent stuff all right dan so these were just a few of the tweets we got um but dan also took some time to reach out and have a few grad students that are going to share their own spooky story in their own words i'm terrified let's hear it all right first story is from a grad student at the university of alberta serena and uh, she didn't know her own strength and this led to some issues in the lab um so this was in undergraduate uh, or my bachelor's degree um i was doing my honors thesis project so i had been in labs before but kind of you know organized course labs so this was the first time I was kind of more independent. I was still working under a master's student, so I wasn't entirely alone. Um, and what I was doing is I was filtering solvents um, and degassing them for an HPLC. So it's high-performance liquid chromatography, sorry, chemistry background. And we used a water aspirator, so I had turned the water on. Everything was fine, filtered, it was degassing for about 20, 30 minutes, and then I went to turn the water off. Uh, and this is the part that it kind of it happened really quickly, and it's sort of a blur. I'm a little bit shorter, so I had kind of had to like be on my tiptoes a little bit and reach over to turn the faucet off. And what happened was the cold water tap, like the entire is one of those screw uh, left and right caps, not the fancier ones we have today. And it came off entirely in my hand. And well, when that happened, basically, there was nothing stopping the water from coming out. So I'd created a little fountain. I got soaked probably instantly. And I don't know how fast the water pressure was, but we Within about five minutes, there was about an inch of water on the ground. Um, so I was, like I mentioned, new to the lab. So I looked around for a place for a water shut off valve, but I didn't know where it was. So I was kind of checking a lot of the corners or cupboards. Sometimes the cupboards underneath the sink have that. So while I was running around, this was happening. About an inch or so of water had gathered on the floor. And then this was the second floor. So again, while I was trying to figure out how to shut the water off, about I don't know, maybe two or three puddles had started forming on the first floor, and that was the first-year labs. And it just so happened, I think I was very lucky. There was maybe, like, uh, the location of the puddles, I guess, was, like, strategic because 
Um, they have like, some expensive analytical balances in that lab, some other equipment. And it just so happened that none of the counter spaces or none of the tables were hit. It somehow fell directly in between the aisles. So I didn't damage any equipment downstairs. But, of course, very quickly, people from downstairs rushed up once they saw, you know, um, a little bit of rainfall in their labs. Um, and that lab coordinator knew that the building was a little bit older, so it didn't have a water shutoff actually in the lab, which is what I was looking for. There was one kind of for the main hallway outside. So I think hopefully I would have eventually gotten there, but it was with her help that we turned the water off. I think it felt like forever, but was probably only about five minutes, maximum 10. I don't think it was that long. Um, and then we brought in this. It basically looked like an industrial vacuum with a big hose at the end instead of one of those bristle vacuums. And we used that to vacuum up the water. And we, I don't remember if we actually like calculated how much it was, but it was ridiculous. It was like 40 or 60 liters of water that it accumulated all over the floor and a little bit into the first floor. Um, but that was, yeah, a little bit traumatizing as uh, my first experience in the lab. Um, we also had the maintenance come in and everything. They were joking that they don't know how I broke the faucet because I'm not really this, like, big, strong person. Um, and they thought it was just wear and tear, but it just so happened that I was the unlucky person who happened to be the one that touched it that day. Now I always look where everything is, you know, water shut off, gas shut off, electrical shut off. And well, on the bright side, that lab has never been uh, cleaner. Those floors are, or at least at the time, they were sparkling clean after our lab cleanup. But um, I was entirely soaked and very, very embarrassed because obviously everyone heard about it. I don't think anyone found out my name, but it was always like, oh, did you hear that, you know, someone in the whatever lab on the second floor, there was a flood and it was an undergrad student. So that part had gotten out. And I remember people trying to figure out who it had been. Well, it was me. <laughs> yeah, that was a mess. It's not a, it's not a great day in the lab, is it? Yeah, I loved how she talked about how even though people didn't necessarily know her name, there was this lore of... Who was that student that flooded the lab that time? I, thought I know we, we got a lot of stories this week from people who said, well, I heard about, you know, such and such blowing up. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's sometimes part of the history of that department, but you didn't know the person who did it. She is the, one of those people now. She's part of the, the lab lore, the, the departmental lore. All right, Dan, so the second story is from Lauren. And Lauren is uh, another Canadian, a postdoc from Calgary, um, who has a shocking tale. So this was from my PhD, um, and I was in Chicago, and I was pretty much like in the home stretch of data collection. So I probably had maybe five participants left to run, and we had a long weekend. Um, so I'm pretty certain it was like Memorial Day or something. And we had these absolutely horrific storms over the weekend. And a lightning strike somehow fried our lab freezer. Fried it to the point where like even the safeties didn't go off. And luckily, because, you know, it was a long weekend, nobody was in lab on Monday. And come into the the freezer area to a bottle that was about 12 feet around. Um, so the entire freezer had thawed. Uh, so upon inspection, about two-thirds of my dissertation data had melted over the, the, the three-day weekend. So uh, that, you know, in a nutshell, that's pretty much uh, what happened. The other sort of icing on the cake was that um, because we had all sorts of 
fun samples in there. So human saliva, blood, um, et cetera, et cetera. A fine layer of unidentifiable mold had also started growing. So I had to go through hazmat training to clean out the freezer. So not only was my dissertation data just destroyed, um, but I had to, to get some special fun training to clean out the destroyed freezer. But, you know, luckily there is a, a happy ending to this. The, the silver lining was that um, I plowed through recollecting my dissertation data and I still graduated about six months later. I had already proposed and everything was, was good to go. I was literally sort of sitting back and hoping to, to coast through the last few data points and start analyzing. But, uh, you know, the, the fates laughed at me and my confidence and gave me uh, something else to do. I, I literally wept. <laughs> the department head came in later that day to kind of see what had happened. Uh, and it turns out the um, the circuitry that they had hooked the freezer up to wasn't quite correct. But um, as they're doing the inspection or whatever, I'm standing in the corner just crying. And my PI basically looked at me and was like, get a hold of yourself. Yeah, definitely um, a short story, but very, very scary. Lightning, man. Yeah, do we need a trigger warning for all these stories of blood and gore? Yeah, don't you need like uh, those power strips? You know, you put on your computer. You know, the no, I know it, yeah. from running in. Uh, man, it, but a direct lightning strike is a totally different beast. This is not just a little surge on the grid. This is. I'm just imagining what that might smell like. You know, these thawed samples of blood oh, and saliva. Don't and mold. Put on your biohazard suit, and you won't have to. Well, I'm thankful that it, that it all turned out okay. All right, Dan. So our last story we're going to hear. Um, this one's a doozy. This is from Jessica, who is a postdoc at Princeton, and she's going to talk about her experience beyond lightning with a hurricane. So let's hear what she had to say. So um, I was a graduate student at Rutgers University. Um, I was in my second year of my PhD, and Hurricane Sandy was on the news, and everybody knew it was a going to be a very large storm and it had a possibility of hitting New Jersey and we didn't have the best equipment when it came to electricity and keeping the power on and having generators and such so during any storm we had the possibility of losing power we knew that we were very well aware of that um, we took precautions that I think a lot of people did not take thinking that the storm was going to veer off and go into the ocean and not hit us directly and a lot of places get hit by hurricanes, but I've lived in New Jersey my entire life, and I've never seen a storm like this. <laughs> so this was um, quite a massive event. And so in, in 2012, we were setting up for the storm. We had moved samples already, just in preparation, shut down equipment that we knew was going to um, probably be affected from the storm, and we would lose power, and we didn't want that to happen. Now, there were red plugs on the wall that were supposed to be hooked up into a generator. So that was our preconceived notion. So of course we had prepped all the, all the equipment that was plugged into those outlets and we thought everything was good to go. The storm hit, of course, all the power went out, um, transformers blew up across the state. So midway through the hurricane, my roommate and I prepped um, lights and everything else that we might need. And we, we drove to campus she was actually, she had some animals on the farm, and so we checked on them first. Everything was okay. Um, horses can weather the storm pretty well. 
Um, they were inside of a barn, so they were fine. But of course, now uh, her research had now been driven to a halt because there was no electricity, and she was um, performing some exercise-induced metabolism studies. But as many people had had their research driven to a halt, this was not the main impact of the storm. So upon reaching our building, the power was out. But not only was the power out, but none of the generators were working. Um, we later would find out that the generators were not actually put into the correct circuit, so nothing could be powered by those generators. So that meant the entire building was plunged into darkness, and it was also very dark out in the storm, so good thing we had our lights and such. And we had backup uh, CO2 chambers for the minus 80, so that was something that I was very used to changing out, so I had that going. But of course, in the mid-darkness, and as events always happen, I dropped one of the washers, <laughs> and thankfully I found some extra ones, but that washer was never found until way after the storm was over. <laughs> um, you never want to lose anything in pitch blackness. So we moved all the samples that we possibly could, but the other damage that was occurring as we were trying to save years and years of research was everything was melting. So not only was there a lot of rain outside that was coming in through the walls and such, but the freezers were melting. And so in the building that I was in, my lab had a nice coating of water on the floor. In the building next door, they were starting to leak, and they would eventually leak through the floors onto the labs below them. Um, security was a major issue. Some buildings couldn't get into. Some buildings um, were unlocked permanently because they had this new electronic fancy system that the default was to just be unlocked. Terrible. <laughs> so a couple, I mean, it's, it's not really funny because some of the labs actually did get ransacked um, by people in the area, but um, at the time, we were kind of joking, like, wow, we have this really old building, and we don't have that electronic system, so we actually had keys for everything, which was great, because then we were able to lock things up and keep them secure. So, in the midst of this hurricane, here we are, a couple of graduate students, one of their second year, moving samples and trying to save all our data, but not only that, but on top of all of the research issues that we had, and this took months for us to recover from, and we lost many, many reagents that um, the university actually were able to replace with at least funding so we could purchase the, the supplies again, even though some of them, you know, we get them from other labs and such, they're custom made, so not everything was replaceable. Um, but the poor students had nowhere to go, so their dorms also had lost power. So at the end of the day, we actually had some students staying with us because the only other alternative was to sleep in a gymnasium with no heat. So we had our students that were actually working in the lab staying with us. Um, we didn't lose power in my apartment, thankfully. That was the one good thing. So we ended up taking some reagents and some samples that we absolutely could not use and putting them in our freezer at home because we had nowhere else to put them. <laughs> and I was in a pretty new lab, so what we had lost wasn't too bad. Um, but there was uh, some specific labs, one freezer in particular that I remember that he lost 30 years of research in that freezer. Nobody had, he didn't have graduate students, he didn't have anybody to come help him, so he, didn't, he couldn't get to campus because the other thing that was happening at this whole time was there were a lot of downed trees. So not everybody could actually get there, and the cell phone service was very spotty. So it was very difficult to actually get in contact with people to see what you could help them with, even if you were on campus trying to make a difference and try to help. Um, it was very difficult. And then, of course, because um, this was actually a pretty bad storm that impacted New Jersey, we couldn't get um, gasoline after a while. So our gas stations dried up, and it, that took a long time to recover from. So not only could people not get to their labs because of the down trees and down wires, but when they, they had to make sure that they had enough gas to get back. 
So this was this was actually probably a good month before we were even back up to running normal experiments and such. That some labs had water from all these freezers that melted that came through the ceilings and destroyed the lab. Um, they took a lot longer. Our lab we were back up and running in a in a couple of weeks, but um, once the power came on, we started everything up again, moved our samples back. So it was probably three weeks of delay in our lab. But pretty much every graduate student that was there during the time had a little asterisk in their thesis. <laughs> this is when the storm hit because we lost power for quite a long time. I, I'm not going to lie, for a long time after that, every time I would hear a storm coming, we prepped probably a little bit more than we had to. <laughs> it really keeps you up at night <laughs> when you hear that wind lashing and you're like just keeping your fingers crossed that you don't lose all your data in your last year of your PhD. <laughs> Man, as if grad school is not hard enough, you getting hit by a hurricane. <laughs> oh my gosh. You've got... You've got so much against you in grad school you don't need mother nature on the other team well i liked how she said you know a lot of the grad students who were there during that time all have a little asterisk in their dissertation about and they also went through this hurricane that <laughs> you get an extra tassel on your mortarboard or what <laughs> they should do uh you know when you get hooded with the phd you should get merit oh, badges you should get a special pin yeah. or something um you know it did make me think i remember we used to put a lot of stock in those you know in the lab, there were the regular outlets, and then there were the electrical outlets. Oh, the red ones are the, magic. Yeah, the yeah. emergency ones that like never go out. And not yeah, I mean, true. Just, yeah, just think how bad that would be if, uh, if yeah, all the freezers. I mean, really, the fr- the freezer is the thing, right? That's the the safety archive, the safety valve of the lab, I guess. Yeah, and what an unusual event for a hurricane to go that far up the East Coast this is not a normal uh, type of storm in the United States. Yeah, you would never expect it. Dan, you got any horror stories? Anything that spooks you out about the lab? Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, there's there's a lot in the lab that is concerning and you should be concerned about. I mean, you shouldn't, you know, all of the chemicals. Yeah, there's work, dangerous stuff. When you're working with radiation, all of that stuff. But none of it actually scared me so much as the ultra centrifuges. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. So I had heard the horror stories of, you know, an ultra centrifuge getting unbalanced and exploding and... You know, it's it's apocryphal, but you hear these stories of like pieces flew through the yeah. wall and nearly killed a person if he hadn't gone and got coffee, right? Yeah. Um, so I took a look on the website of the American Industrial Hygiene Association, and they actually have photos and uh, stories of centrifuges that have exploded. Really? So I would like <laughs> to read you a harrowing tale. I feel like it's a good thing you did not discover those websites when you were actually in the lab and you're seeing so these right. photos. You would have never been able to go in there. And it's like if you're afraid of flying and like you look at photos or of plane crashes. Plane, yeah, right? no, totally, totally, you're totally correct. Yeah. So here, here's how the story starts. Milk samples were running in a Beckman L265B ultra centrifuge using a large aluminum rotor. So this is an ultra centrifuge. Yeah, it's one of the big, looks like a washing machine. Yeah, those those did freak me out. They were really fast. The rotor had been used for this procedure many times before, approximately one hour into the operation. So it had worked for an hour, right? Oh, so it had been balanced. Yeah. Oh, I just assumed if it's off balance, you know, at the beginning... You'll I should, know, I should do right? this in a spookier voice. <laughs> Approximately one hour into the operation, the rotor failed due to excessive... Jimmy thought everything was fine, <laughs> but it wasn't. But then, yeah. <laughs> the rotor failed due to excessive mechanical stress caused by the G-forces of the high rotation speed. Here we go. The subsequent explosion. Because at, at the speeds that these rotors are traveling, I mean, yeah, you talk about a bullet breaking the sound barrier. This is like whatever fragments come off. 
So the subsequent explosion completely destroyed the centrifuge in their pictures, which we will post. The safety shielding in the unit did not contain all the metal fragments. The half-inch thick sliding steel door on top of the unit buckled, allowing fragments, including the steel rotor top, to escape. Oh, fragments ruined a nearby ref- refrigerator and an ultra-cold freezer, in addition to making holes in the walls and ceiling. The unit itself was propelled sideways, damaged cabinets and shelving that contained over 100 containers of chemicals. <laughs> oh, wow. I was just thinking like if you were like at your lab bench one floor up, right? Oh, it would be like a bomb going off oh, for sure. Uh, fortunately, the sliding cabinet doors prevented the containers from falling to the floor and breaking. A shockwave from the accident shattered all four windows in the room. The shockwave also destroyed the control system for an incubator and shook an interior wall, causing shelving on the wall to collapse. Fortunately, the room was not occupied at the time and there were no personal injuries. The it was co- like a bomb went off. Really. It was like a bomb went off, yeah. yeah. The cause of the accident is believed to be that the m- use of a model of rotor that was not approved by Beckman for the use in that centrifuge. Or so Beckman claims. Right? So so be afraid. And so the pictures are terrifying. It's like twisted metal and things all over the floor. I always felt like standing in front of one of those as it came up to speed was a test of my faith in the machine. <laughs> I don't, have, have you used them, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you yep. push that button and you hear it go, you know, like that low drone, like the... Yeah. And it keeps getting higher and higher and you think it's never going to get higher than this. It just keeps going and going. And I stand there just to make sure it's not unbalanced. But I always felt like, you know, walking a tight But then road. what would you do if it did start buckling around? I mean, you could just stand I mean, there. I mean, would, I would stop it then, <laughs> stop right? Stop it and run it out of the room, right? But... But what this is describing is like in an instant, the thing is uh, an explosion. So anyways, I have a healthy fear of ultra centrifuges. What about those microfuges? Because, you know, we have those all over the, you know, I always, I was never really afraid of those because they seem so small. I'm so glad you asked on the same website. <laughs> You're kidding. Story of a Fisher Micro 16 microfuge uh, exploded. No one was hurt. Thankfully, we'll get that out of the way. The outer shell of the centrifuge did not contain the explosion and the fragments of the rotor sprayed all over the area. The entire front of the centrifuge was blown off. It passed from one bay in the lab to the adjacent bay, smashing bottles as it went. The front narrowly missed hitting a technician's head. You know, helmets. I mean, I'm not surprised the casing didn't hold it in. I mean, they're plastic, right? I mean, this is spooky. Another technician who had her back turned to the centrifuge felt fragments of the rotor spraying her back. Oh, my oh. Uh, I think you're probably going to like freak out. We have people listen to our show who are in labs with these on their lab bench every day. These, That's these why I'm telling these horrifying tales. Oh, my gosh. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> and Dan, I'll say the, the one piece of, of lab equipment that gave me a lot of fear and nervousness was you did tissue culture, right? Sure did. So, you know, those giant CO2 canisters, they're like the size of a missile. Yeah. uh, Maybe five and a half feet tall or something. Yeah. And they're so heavy. I mean, you can't pick them up. You have to kind of roll them. You roll them. Um, And I just always thought like, man, if I accidentally, like if it fell over, like it's a little top heavy, what that would be like. They are chained to the wall. Hopefully they have like, the loosest chain like (laughs) one little chain at the bottom like like that's gonna do anything but yeah right right i don't know for some reason switching those tanks out and getting that full tank and like rolling it over i don't know that made and the danger is less from the tank falling on you and more if the gas should escape in the room you'd be a goner missile right yeah for sure yeah so that's right pictures of that so enjoy your lab everybody (laughs) hope you have a good time yeah uh the worst thing i can get in my job now is carpal tunnel syndrome (laughs) slowly but surely all right dan this was uh this was quite a spooky episode well thank you for uh sharing this large bottle of 
rogue pumpkin patch ale delicious and i can say this is kind of took the edge off of the scary right definitely and this is the first pumpkin beer we have ever been able to recommend so we recommend this uh rogue rogue pumpkin we've been at it for a while too (laughs) we have uh but a special thanks to all of our contributors whether it was stories or tweets um thanks to them for sharing their stories and you can always share your stories your lab horror stories with us Find us on Twitter at HelloPhD, or you can email us, podcast at HelloPhD. We would love to to do this again or to retweet your stories or whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. All right, Dan, let's call a wrap on this show. As you said, Dan, um, if you have a spooky story or a question or topic idea, we'd love to hear it. As you mentioned, you can email us, podcast at HelloPhD.com. Send us a tweet at HelloPhD, or you can leave us a message on our Facebook page. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We certainly love the feedback. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd. And we would love the pumpkin beer money. And don't forget uh, about the art contest, promega.com slash art contest if you want to enter. Yep. I th- I'm, I'm going to put together something, I think. I've got some ideas. Can we enter? That seems not right, not fair. Are we... Guaranteed winner, Josh. <laughs> and the winner of the art contest, Dan Arneman, host of Hello PhD. Smartman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it'd be cool. Win, you could win yourself a trip to uh, Promega headquarters. It'd be great for the awesome. All right, Dan. Well, I will uh, see you for trick or treating next week, but we'll be back with our listeners at our next episode. All right, we'll see you then. Bye.